welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of El Ghazuli and Secretary of State for the Home Department. The citation for this case is 2020 UKSC 10. And the cases that reach the Supreme Court tend to be the most important, both in terms of the legal questions being asked, but also in terms of their impact on society. This judgment we will be looking at today is arguably the most important because it is a matter of life and death. The appellant is in fact bringing the case on behalf of her son, El Shafi El Sheikh, who is alleged to have been part of ISIS. His particular terrorist cell is supposed to have beheaded 27 citizens from the UK and the US. Even though he had since been stripped of his British citizenship, there were some disputes as to whether he should be prosecuted in the UK or in the US after he had been captured by Kurdish fighters back in early 2018. The Home Secretary at the time was Sajid Javid, who wrote to the US Attorney General Jeff Sessions to say that the UK, quote, does not currently intend to request, nor actively encourage, end quote, the transfer of El Sheikh back to Britain. This opened the door for a prosecution in the US after that country had made a Mutual Legal Assistance, or MLA, request for aid in the investigation. Originally, the Home Secretary made this conditional on assurances that the information that the UK provided would not in any way lead to a prosecution that could conclude with the imposition of the death penalty. The American authorities refused to give such an assurance, but in June 2018, Sajid Javid decided to go ahead and just give the information out anyway. El Ghazuli challenged this decision via judicial review, and although her claim was dismissed in the divisional court, there were two key questions of public importance that allowed the case to proceed to the Supreme Court, where we will pick it up. The first question was whether the Home Secretary had exceeded his powers in providing mutual legal assistance to a country that would be prepared to impose the death penalty. And the second question concerns the recent Data Protection Act 2018, and in particular whether Part 3 of that statute allows for UK law enforcement to transfer personal data to authorities in another country for use in proceedings where the death penalty might be imposed. The group of seven judges answered the first question by deciding that the Home Secretary had not exceeded his power by a majority of six to one. The issue essentially came down to whether the Supreme Court thought that the common law had developed sufficiently to prohibit mutual legal assistance in cases where the death penalty might be applied. Lord Carnworth began by noting that developments in the common law have to be approached with caution because, after all, this is judge-made law. Furthermore, the death penalty is not something that has previously been touched by the common law at all, as the developments have either come from Parliament or from the European Convention on Human Rights instead of the courts. Indeed, one of the most recent and significant developments in this area has been the Crime Overseas Production Orders Act 2019. This statute not only confirms that this is an area that Parliament retains a firm grip on, but also makes clear that even in cases where the death penalty is on the table, there is nothing that prevents the Home Secretary from passing on information, even absent specific assurances, from the other state party. All of this makes clear that not only has the common law not developed as much thus far, but is not in a position to do so as a result of this case. Lord Reid elucidates this point further by reference to a couple of key features of the British Constitution, legal certainty 
and parliamentary supremacy. A sharp and unexpected development in the common law would upset legal certainty, and so changes have to be incremental. Furthermore, Parliament had already legislated in this area recently, and the courts should not be the ones to undermine that democratically elected body. Lord Reed did also make one further point in relation to another principle that, even if it's not a constitutional principle yet, is certainly akin to one, and that is respect for the right to life. The fact that a man's life is on the line here did not escape the attention of the justices, and this does mean that they are under some self-imposed obligation to be more rigorous when reviewing the decision made by the Home Secretary. However, this doesn't change the facts of the case, and it appears that the Home Secretary did also approach the question of mutual legal assistance with this in mind, and applied a higher standard in his review. Before we move on to Lord Kerr's dissenting judgment on this matter, it is worth considering a couple of extra points in relation to this first question. Firstly, it was found that while the power of deportation can be subject to judicial review, there is no scenario in which there would be an absolute prohibition based on the possible consequences of what might happen in the receiving state. Secondly, Lord Reid noted in his judgment that a judicial review of this decision by the Home Secretary on the grounds of irrationality might have been open for discussion, but since it was not raised, this was not something that was addressed in the judgment. Anyway, as previously mentioned, Lord Kerr stood on his own in favour of the view that the common law should develop in such a way so as to prohibit mutual legal assistance in cases that might result in a death sentence. As we know, the common law ought to reflect the principles and attitudes of the society that we live in, and so Lord Kerr points to six factors that support his argument that the law is ready to develop in this way. These are contemporary values in British society, the jurisprudence of the European Court of Human Rights, similar jurisprudence from the European Union, the logical dissonance between refusing to deport where there is a risk of the death penalty compared with deporting someone without any assurances when that same precise outcome might end up happening, and finally the jurisprudence of the UK's own Privy Council. Lord Kerr goes into more detail on each of these points in the judgment itself, but the main point is that over the years successive UK governments have taken a stance that opposes the death penalty in any circumstances, and this has always been matched by a refusal to provide mutual legal assistance when a death sentence is still on the table. On the back of this, he concludes that the common law should reflect this position in the same way that the common law reflects the society that it governs. Fortunately, on the second question, all of the justices agreed, and as a quick reminder, that question was whether it is lawful for personal data to be transferred under Part 3 of the Data Protection Act when it may be used in the prosecution of crimes that might attract the death penalty. For context, Part 3 of that 2018 Act is all about the processing of data for the purposes of law enforcement. The data controller, who for this case would be the Secretary of State, can only transfer personal data if doing so meets three conditions set out in Section 73. The first of these is that doing so is necessary for law enforcement purposes. The second condition, which was the subject of the most debate in this case, is that the transfer has to either be based on an adequacy decision per section 74, based on there being appropriate safeguards per section 75, or based on special circumstances per section 76. 
We'll go into more detail on those in a moment, but the final condition is that the recipient of the data must be a law enforcement authority in that receiving state. The first and third conditions are fine. We know that the evidence against El Sheikh is a necessary part of the prosecution against him for terrorist offences, and the US Attorney General is clearly an appropriate authority for this information to be handed over to. So coming back to that second condition, we know that there are three requirements, but only one of them has to be satisfied in order for the transfer of personal data to be lawful. Going through each of them in turn, the first is if there is an adequacy decision from the European Commission stating that the non-EU country has an adequate level of data protection. It was agreed between the parties that this was not applicable in this case, and so we move on to the second potential option, there being appropriate safeguards. The safeguards refer to how personal data can be used by the recipient, and are often codified in some legal instrument. In this case, the Supreme Court unanimously concluded that the transfer occurred with no safeguards whatsoever, and so the Respondent Home Office came to rely on the third and final possible requirement, special circumstances. Whether or not there are special circumstances to justify the transfer of personal data to the law enforcement of another country might sound like a bit of a catch-all term, but the circumstances are in fact elucidated in section 76.1 and are quite specific. Thus, a transfer will be allowed where it is necessary to protect the vital interests of the data subject or another person, to safeguard the legitimate interests of the data subject, for the prevention of an immediate and serious threat to the public security of a member state or a third country, in individual cases for any of the law enforcement purposes, or in individual cases for a legal purpose. The problem for Lord Carnworth was that when a transfer is based on special circumstances, Section 76 further requires everything to be documented, and given that this did not happen, it is not open for the government to rely on this requirement. Lady Hale would build on this by noting that the last two special circumstances also cannot be relied upon if the fundamental rights of the individual outweigh the public interest. But the other justices did not comment on this point because it was not pertinent to the arguments in this case. I would add at this point that the actual wording of the Act suggests that this is based on the judgment of the data controller rather than the court, so there would also be a question of justiciability. Either way, the overall point is clear. The transfer of personal data fails to satisfy the second condition set out in section 73.3 of the Data Protection Act 2018, and so the decision by the Secretary of State for the Home Department was unlawful. Lord Kerr agreed, but based much of his reasoning on the consequences of his dissenting judgment in respect of the first question, so we don't need to delve into that. In practical terms then, this victory for El Ghazuli only goes part of the way to helping her son. Her aim is for El Sheikh to face justice in the UK rather than in America, but the Crown Prosecution Service found that there was insufficient evidence for him to be charged and tried. A review of that decision will be completed soon, and once we know what the outcome is, we will get a better sense of what the next steps are for El Ghazuli and her son. Of course, this shouldn't detract from the legal importance of this decision. On the one hand, this does deal a significant blow for the government, Beyond actually losing the case, it shows that data protection legislation opens up new rights for individuals and can protect them from a government that is seeking to overreach its authority. 
On the other hand, I'm not so sure that losing such an important case is as bad as it might first appear. The Shadow Attorney General, Shami Chakravarti, stated that this shows the value that the UK judges, quote, so obviously place on the right to life, end quote. But that is not completely accurate, because the main argument that was based on introducing the right to life to the common law in this context was almost unanimously dismissed. Only Lord Kerr found it convincing, but the other justices were clearly very wary of taking what would be a significant step. The majority acknowledged that this was still very much a political question that falls within the remit of Parliament, and it is parliamentary supremacy that precludes any change. Building on that idea, it is also potentially open to Parliament to close up the loophole in the Data Protection Act that was revealed by the Supreme Court's answer to the second question. Now, that is based on the European GDPR, so it might be a little more difficult than I am making out. But nevertheless, it is important to remember that the government lost this case, in part because they did not document the special circumstances for the data transfer in accordance with Section 76 of the Data Protection Act. If they had done so, then that would not necessarily be a guarantor of success, because that documentation would still need to stand up in a court of law but it does undoubtedly put the ball in the government's court when it comes to future cases. One small point before I finish is that this case is also unique because it was the first judgement that was not delivered in open court because of the coronavirus pandemic. Not only was the PDF of the judgement issued on the website, but Lord Kerr delivered the judgement on video from his home. Thus, if you have ever wanted to see the inside of a Supreme Court Justice's house, then now is your chance. Unfortunately, it's very much as you would expect, often with law books in the background and a very awkward delivery to camera, but I still hold out hope for an errant family member to appear in the background by accident or for Lord Reed to start playing around with a virtual background. Worth checking out if you have a spare few minutes, my favourite so far is Lord Hodge, who has a nice picture of Parliament up on the wall. Anyway, that's all from me. Remember to check out all of my latest coronavirus content on the website, uklawweekly.com, including a special episode of this podcast on the Coronavirus Act and an article on the lockdown regulations. I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!